Uh, scripture this morning uh, is from Luke chapter 15. You can follow along in your bulletin, or if you brought a Bible, go ahead. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to, feel, to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants, and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come home back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central. And um, like uh, Jacob said, we begin a new and old sermon series on the vision of Christ Central Church. I last preached through this series back in 2005, I realize, and lots of change has taken place here at Christ Central Church. New people have become a part of what we started eight years ago now, and with even more change at Christ Central here recently, I believe we must re-engage and be re-engaged by what we are all about. So over the course of month, few months here, we'll take a look at vision items, clear message of grace being one. We start today. Authentic worship, eclectic community, redemption of all creation, and finally, kindred communities. 
This is a sermon that I preached for the first time back in 2003 and did it again as part of our first vision series back in 2005. So if you remember it, I'm flattered that it was that good. If you've heard this before, I am encouraged that this message rings and has rung true for you as I hoped it would over and over again. So to help case this story, a scripture reading you don't have, I'll read from the same chapter, verses 1 and 2. The chapter starts this way. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Rightly so to the religious people of the day, the churchgoers, Jesus is extremely confusing. As far as the law, he was impressive since he was 12 years old. As far as power, unstoppable. The lame walk, the blind see, demons obey, and the dead will or are awakened. As far as wisdom, there was none more shrewd. As far as his social life, seeing in whom he chose to hang out with and who hung out with him, edgy and even a little unholy and disgraceful. Jesus, to his religious counterparts, was was complicated and to those who were disgraced and undignified, compelling. So remains the question. Jesus, what are you all about? What are you doing? What are you up to? What is your point? What is the message you embody? It is a clear message of grace. And so it is a part of Christ Central's vision to to make sure you hear it and it shape and change us and draw you close to him and his message and to who God says he is. So in answer to those looking for hope in this fallen world, for you who are tired and burned out as his followers, and those curiously skeptical about what this Christ and this Christianity is talking about, Jesus offers, after these uh, Pharisees are judging him, three parables. One One about lost sheep, lost coins, and the story we will look at today, the lost son. Back in 1988, all eyes were on Art being junior and senior that Christmas. Art Jr. was a high school peer of mine who at 16 years old on Christmas Day received from his father a nice shiny red 1967 Mustang Shelby Fastback with a four-barrel V8 engine. That means it's fast. In other words, Art, Artie, one of the most spoiled kids in our neighborhood, a bully who didn't make the best grades or have the best attitude, just got one of the fastest, best-looking, most dangerous power-wise car he could have gotten. And the buzz around the neighborhood was, among parents, I would never. 
or what a foolish father, or don't get near that car, boy. That was my daddy. Or I bring up my children too, dot, dot, dot. Inevitably, everybody got their wishes. The car ended up front-ending a tree at high speed, not hurting Artie, but causing great damage to the car and his father's pride and wallet. We all thought, of course, no more car. Back to the bus stop and the bikes. He wasn't ready. I was one saying it. He wasn't ready. My jealous stuff, it just felt right that he was back in the cold and rain waiting for the bus with us content and grateful kids. My dad bought me that car and said, no, dad, I'm not ready. Even now, I'm not ready. So y'all try it. You'll see. A week later, fixed up. Now get this, a week later, or a couple of weeks later, I can't remember. It was real quick, it seemed. Fixed up at great expense to his father, Artie was rolling again, fast as ever, riding by the bus stop, blowing his arm. Whoop, whoop, what's up, suckers? Art Jr. and Sr., we get father and son of the year compared to what Jesus was conveying to his listeners about this father and his two sons in this story. Let's take a deeper look at this younger son and his behavior for he is every parent's and community's worst fear and greatest disgrace. He obviously comes from a privileged and loving home, wealthy and cared for, and by asking at under 18 years old for his portion of the inheritance was showing the highest degree of contempt and hatred even for his father. Verse 12 says this, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. In some context, this inheritance, I'm not pretty sure about this one, that, that this is not given until you're dead. This is until the father's dead. This is basically like saying, you are dead to me. Give me the will. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want you in my life anymore. I hate you and what you are all about. Harrison and Clark make me feel good being a father. I love my boys. Sometimes you just look at them. You're just looking at them and you love them. You know what I'm saying? They're not doing anything wrong. Sometimes when they do wrong you, and you got to discipline them, you be laughing because you have joy in your heart. It's just hard. Sometimes I have to run in the next room. Dad's mad at us, but why is he running away? Because I'm laughing too. Could you imagine this father growing up this with his sons, having these experiences, giving them all the good things he could possibly give them? And his younger saying, Pops, I'm tired of being around you and what you've given. Give me my stuff now. Then the Bible says he squanders it. Look at verse 13. Not many days later, days later, I love this. The younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Verse 14, he spent everything. It's already a sin. In ancient times, you were not to use your inheritance as a bargaining tool for credit or for 
pleasure. It was something you should just never use as good pocket change. Just build, you're supposed to build on it to invest it, to get some more land or real estate, to build a life. It represented his ancestral worth. At 16 or 17 years old, with no experience and probably handling money well, he loses it all. In arrogance and contempt for it, not caring how it may have disgraced his father, how what and how his father and the generations before him had provided for him. I even believe that it is possible that the listeners of the story would have assumed that this young man purposely used it on wild living out of contempt for his father's wealth. He was short-sighted in how it would affect his own offspring. Who, who would get it? He, his drive for immediate pleasure and new friends or experience of rebellion or anger towards his dad were more important to him. Not only that, but he disgraces himself. He trades in the dignity of a son of this rich man in his heritage. He sells out, and even worse, he sells himself short as a human being perplexed and propelled by ambition and pride. Look with me at verse 14. The Bible says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now, every good Jewish person knows you're not supposed to hang around any pigs. It's the only job he could get. He was working with pigs. It was just a disgrace to a good, religious, rich, godly family. Not only that, but he is warning eventually, the Bible says, that he got so hungry that he wants to eat the pig's food. He wants to eat the food of the unclean animal. He is lowered below the pig. He has disgraced himself to being subhuman with no dignity. What we see here is that he is not getting fair wages. But in this country, he is being treated by a sinful and evil world because of his mistakes. He's been treated as less than human. As a foreigner, he's being prejudiced against and oppressed. They are not paying him enough to eat off. In fact, I think part of the squandering happened because these folks saw him coming a mile away. I didn't get permission to share this story. So I know John Wells is going to be mad, but he can be mad later. But he told me one time, his dad went and bought him some new flippers, you know, to swim in the pool with these new big goggles things, and took him to the city pool in Philadelphia. And he told me, oh, he got to hear him tell his story. He said he was walking toward the pool, flip, 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 flip. You know the city pool, anybody got a bathing suit, just cut off shorts. I've been to the pool. Some people be in their drawers. I'm telling you, you just get in the pool with what you got. And here come John, probably with the new stuff, shining. Flip, flip, flip. Hey, guys, flip. They saw him coming a mile away. He said he went one dip, bloop, 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 bloop. And when he came up, no goggles, no flippers. It was all gone. He said he went under and all these kids were around him. And he came up with nothing. They saw him coming. His dad boy, boy, you better go get your stuff. It ain't my stuff no more. I'm trying not to be mistaken. 
But I think this young guy, you know, this, who asked for the father's west, just a flip-flopping into a foreign land. Flip, flip. We're we, we going to take him. I mean, at this point in the story, this guy is not even the help. We like to call a person like this the hurt. <laughs> the Bible says that he came to himself or his senses. Look with me at verse 17. But when he came to himself or his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here. Let me explain what this means. This is raw humanity. This is just the thread that, that, that we all have, whether we're believers or not, that connects us to our humanity, that says, I am human, I am not a pig or a dog. Like this, even, even this is God's built-in grace for some of us who without it would let ourselves become part of the animal kingdom. So my guess is that he is more hungry and convinced of that sheer single-thread humanity at this point than anything else. He has godly sorrow brought on by circumstance that led him home. Get this, he hasn't done the full cycle of repentance and reconciliation, but he is looking for a way to eat. Look at verse 18 through 20 with me. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. He is not considering. Get this now. He is not considering a return or repentance or a change that will ultimately put him in the place before his fall from grace. He's not thinking, I'm going to go and I'm going to say the right things and oh, my dad's going to make me one of his sons again. He's saying, I'm hoping if I make my dad feel sorry for me enough, I know the right things to say. I know to say, hey, if I, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, I, I just want to be a servant. Just give me some mercy. He is definitely hoping that his sorry story will make his father so feel sorry enough for him to give him mercy. But he is not at all considering that his father may give him grace. When I was pastoring in Baltimore, we had all kind of folk coming to the house. Our house was right beside the church. We lived in the part of Baltimore. Y'all who only hang out in the inner harbor, y'all don't know. Let's go to Baltimore. It's great. Have you been to the inner harbor? Have you been to the outer harbor? Have you been down to the wire? Huh? Sometimes folks will come to the church, addicts of all sorts, prostitutes. Hey, Pastor Brown, I love the Lord. Oh, I've done wrong, Pastor Brown. Can I have a dollar? Pastor Brown, I'll do what it takes. I, I, I'll say the right things. Uh, but, but they're not looking, so many are not looking for restoration. They're looking to get by. They're looking for a mercy, Hank. 
handout. And, and there's nothing wrong with mercy. Scripture calls us to mercy. But understand where so many of us are here are, are like today. Because I want us to be careful not to let this be about who we consider as the most desperate, the drug addicts and the prostitutes and the homeless and all that, because the most desperate are you and me. You know, you and I will say anything to keep our lives afloat, to not be ashamed in our world of things, to hold on to what you think keeps your worth something in a life. It is human to say anything. I love you. Okay. I'll do it. I'll take that job. Please. Sure. Or for some saying nothing and being silent is speaking loudly to get what you need to stay human. According to your low and lofty assessment, you are still begging for a sense of mercy. Because truth be told, we are all and have been and will be desperate liars and tongue servants somewhere, somehow. So understand that Jesus' listeners are not thinking romantically. They are thinking. So this disgracing, hard-headed, arrogant user of a son has the audacity to head home with this sob story to even get more out of his father. This is what they're thinking. Before we get to what happens to him, let's fast forward to the older son, the good son. Jesus could have stopped there, but he goes on to tell us about the other son. Why should he even come into play? He stayed home. He was good, right, wrong. His behavior and responses to his father ironically mirror those of the younger son. Look with me at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now there's a party for the younger son's return. We'll get back to that in a minute. But he is coming in from the fields. What's wrong with this picture? Well, in the beginning verses, the Bible says he divides the wealth between the two sons, which means that the older son, he has two-thirds of the father's wealth, and is a prince, and he is working. What does this say? The same thing the younger son's actions toward the wealth says. I don't want to live in what you have provided. I don't want to live on your legacy for your glory. I want my own. You and what you have provided in love is not that great to me. And I will not honor you by acting like a son. I'm doing it my own way. But will dishonor you by working like he said it. A slave as a hired servant and in doing so squanders in heart what the father has provided. Think of an example of this. It'd be like, you know, my wife likes to cook. It's like her cooking all day, working. She brings up the food, lays it out, and I go get a bologna sandwich. What's that say? I don't care what you got to cook. What, I don't, what you cook, I don't like. Very dangerous to do this Very dangerous for you young men. Dangerous. But the Bible says he's not, he, does, he disgraces his father. First, he does not go get his brother. Look at verse 26 through 28 with me. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, 
Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him. In antiquity, understand the older son would be in charge of reconciliation for the sake of the honor and heart of the father, who was obviously desperate for the return of the younger son. The perfect picture would have been one in which the father would see the older son bringing the younger in. He would not be in the fields. He would have gone after his brother or stood with his dad at the party or helped through the party, which means he does not even seek to honor the desires of the father but his own over and against his father's. In fact, he declares himself by not doing it more righteous than the father's actions. Does not go in to the party. As if his brother was an embarrassment to the father before the community enough. The older son, by not going in, becomes a bigger one. He dishonors and sins against the father. The guests would have been forced to judge between the loud and obvious presence of, uh, 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 the obvious absence of the older son and the father's partying. They would be forced to decide and even determine that the father was crazy and wrong in what he was doing. He made his dad possibly come off unreasonable and stupid. And when the father comes out, the older son addresses him with, with disdain. Look at this. Verse 28. But he was angry, the younger, older son, and, and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my father. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? Let's just go back to verse 29. Look. Look. Look, I'm 40 years old. I'm not going to say to my dad, look. Because if I said to my dad, look, I might not be able to see myself. Look, like, listen here, fool. In pleading the way the father does, he, in pleading the way uh, the older son does, he's declaring, you're no father of mine. And by not calling his brother, brother, but instead this son of yours, he's declaring, I don't, not, I don't even consider myself even a part of this family. I don't want your love or your family like the younger son. No respect, old man. I don't want you if you want him like this. I don't even know who you are anymore acting like this over this unruly son. I don't like the way you appear to be loving and showing acceptance to these folks. He is blind to the loving, to loving and seeing and honoring his father, much like the younger son, by selfish ambition and self-righteousness. This behavior like, behavior like a younger son would have been guilty of receiving a beating or worse, even stoning. You didn't talk to your daddy back then like that. You young kids need to know. Be glad we don't have big stones anymore. The child welfare system and all that helped. Some of y'all, whoo, Lord have mercy. Well, some of us. I can't believe I made it out the 70s and 80s. I should have been dead by the hands of my parents. 
What Jesus has done here with two sons has taken two groups of people. Sinners, self-righteous saints. Two behavior patterns, which we all have. Sinful and religious. Churched and unchurched. And he joins two people listening, right? Sinners and Pharisees, both descendants of Abraham, to one truth, one redeeming message, one Messiah seen in the loving, merciful, and grace actions of the Father. Now, just so you know, Jesus could have and should have stopped the story at the younger, of the younger son at he wanted to eat with the pigs. Or he should have stopped the story at, or heading home to be stoned, right? It would have been, stone means killed, not the way y'all use it. He already did that. That's why he headed home. Okay. I mean, for him to stop the story right there, it would have been acceptable as a wisdom parable of the day. He would have been applauded by his contemporaries as relevant and wise. See, this format of storytelling would have been normal moral teaching stuff, a la Slick Rick bedtime story about how this son got what he deserved for doing the wrong thing. So kids, beware. God will get you for doing wrong the end. And the Pharisees, yes. That's what these sinners need to hear, Jesus. That they go out and they squander, and that's it. God shuts them down and shuts them off. Jesus would have been an acceptable teacher if he stopped there, but he goes further. He brings in this ridiculous part about the father. A father who by his actions is as foolish, un, is a foolish, undignified, disgraceful, and weak man. A weak parenting model. I mean, look at him. Verse 18, the younger son says, I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And the Bible says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Bible says he sees him a far way off, which means that the father was probably at the city gates or even outside of them looking at the horizon. He was looking for his son. He was seeking him. Word must have gotten out or worse, he has spent his days looking for him. He goes out to meet him. Don't you understand a wise father, they would have let this son meet the judgment at the gate before the community and elders at the gate or the courts that would have barred him possibly from coming in or sent him to jail or stoned him. But he goes out before the condemnation, before the coming punishment to meet and rescue him from it. The Bible says that he didn't just greet him when he gets there, but verse 20 says he, he runs to him and, and lays a kiss on this pig-smelling, nasty son. Understand what running means. It's undignified for older men to run. 
Okay, today, yeah, you see people all around the world, they're all like running, they old, everybody running. Come to my neighborhood, if somebody running, you run too. You better run. Put the, you got to get going. You don't even ask questions. This ain't no horror movie. You see somebody running around, oh, oh, just start running. Ask questions when you get there. People running their Timberlands, holding their pants up, same thing. Understand that back in the day, they wore those robe things, those skirt things. And so the, pa- the, the, the father would have had to lift his skirt up, you know, how you see the women. He was risking tripping to pull a robe up. Look, think how foolish looking that must have looked. It was, it was desperate looking. If you see an old man running, period, something's up. But imagine seeing a socially dignified man running. Like if you see some 60-year-old Armani business suit wearing old man running out of Bank of America, running towards North Tryon, towards where the homeless folk hang out, something is wrong. He ain't calling for no taxi. He's just running. The Bible says he kissed him. That's for royalty and good sons and princes. The Bible talks about kissing, but when it does, kissing is contractual and binding and promising and serving. This dignified man becomes undignified, hopping and jumping and running and kissing his son. This reminds me of black people at graduation. Back when we were in school. When if you got that degree, you know. I'm trying to not be stereotypically cultural here. But y'all want to say it. And since I'm black, I'm going to say it. Sally Goldberg. Jamarcus Jenkins. me, grandmama, uncle so-and-so, and they bring the whole church up in there. I mean, it just don't be two or three people like clapping like this. It's everybody. Ah, thank you. You be hearing worship service. Thank you, Jesus. And the problem is we don't care. We don't care because we happy, man. This is joyful. Something that shouldn't have happened, happened. The Bible says the father is like that. So folk are looking at it. This man jumping around, he's beside himself, beyond the law of what's moral and carefree of what others may think, sacrificing his dignity, bringing potential shame, bearing ridicule for this ragamuffin, rebellious, not fixed up, and potentially unrepentant son. Before condemnation can come, before the law could destroy him, the father brings out the best robe and the ring and sandals. Look at verse 22. But the father said, and he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you have no longer worthy to be called your son. The scripture says, but, but the father said to, to, to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The son says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And you, and you know what? He is correct. 
But the robe and the ring and the sandals say, you are not worthy, but I will give you worth that you don't have and you have not earned. Not even the worth that you've inherited. You already blew that. I'm giving you something you can't even lawfully get yourself. The robe, of course, would have been the father's robe, the best one. His robe, his cleanliness, his righteousness. The ring represents the privilege to enjoy and make decisions with the father's wealth again. What? You're going to give the squandering son the full privileges to all of the benefits of the household? Hey, get me some water. The ring. Oh, okay. Going to the corner, so I take two pounds of beef jerky. How are you being, sir? The ring. The ring is like a seal, a black card, all in one, right? And the sandals, not barefoot, meaning to work. Many slaves, ironically, did not have sandals. This is about not working to gain favor, but be a son, not a slave. It's a renewal of the inheritance of all that he squandered. The son lost it all, and now this father loses it all. The son squanders it all, now the father relinquishes it all. To make the father look more foolish, the Bible says this in verse 23. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine, for this, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. A fatted calf? Look, y'all, this ain't picking up a pack of pork chops from Paris Tita. This is like having the barbecue smoker have to be set up. You know, the one that they pull behind the truck and set up at Independence or Reedy Creek Park, right? Citywide party. This is the family reunion, the Juneteenth kind of thing. You do this for bar, bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs and marriages. This is a marriage-sized party, five, ten thousand $10,000 worth of stuff. Not, this is not for a son who passed a test or did good or graduated. They would not even get this kind of party. But a son who comes home with disgrace gets the party of his life. What a foolish dad. This is like throwing a debutante ball for a daughter who has to wear a maternity dress. But the radical behavior of the father does not stop there, but extends to the older. Look at verse 28 quickly with me. The father, and he, asked, he said to him, the older son, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. The Bible says, but he was angry and refused to go. And his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and you never disobeyed, and I never disobeyed your command you, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, son, not look. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Understand, the father leaves the guest to be embarrassed. Right? So, so there's this giant party going on. And the dad's probably sitting at the head table. And they all eyes on him and his son. And then here, you know, a little guy comes behind the thing. Hey, um, my Lord, my Lord. I've been watching Downton Abbey a little bit. My Lord. <laughs> my, my Lord. Your eldest is still out in the fields. 
be whispered. And the man of the house has to get up and go get him. And when he leaves it, it does, he does not ignore the son or send a servant to him or rebuke him to keep his pride. He goes out. Understand, there is just as much, if not just as much, pride lost in going to go get the younger son as it is for him to leave this party where he's the man to go out and deal with his spoiled son. Does not beat him. But he extends to him and reasons and teaches and ensures and instructs him of the blessing and love, saying, if you wanted to want a party, if you want some attention like this, all you have to do is ask. What would we call this father? A doormat. A weakling. Run by his children. A spoiler of his kids. Unstable. A okey-doke. A pushover. A fool. A punk. Promoting licentious behavior. But he has a better title. This foolish father we call God. And his behavior and actions we call grace. Unmerited favor through Christ. And the Pharisees and all those who begin to connect here, that Jesus was saying that the holy, righteous God of heaven, the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who sits high and exalted, deserving all glory and honor, has become giddy for those who dishonor him, has given up his divine dignity, has given himself over to ridicule and shame and disgrace to bestow dignity and grace and love to those who have and do squander it and don't and can't deserve it, and that Jesus has come to be the perfect son, older son, who has come and gone out to find and renew and celebrate his lost brothers and sisters and to this they say Jesus have you lost your mind all of us have squandered our relationship with God in our sin we have said to a good God I don't want you we have breathed his air and enjoyed and abused his creation. We have abused and mistreated ourselves each other and have been abused by sin. We have traded in dignity, prostituting ourselves through our jobs, our relationships, our hearts to get the joy only he can provide. And it's so easy to approach it like, let me do what, what I need to do to work for righteousness. Make me a slave, God, to get your favor. I need to fix up before I come. I need to get myself together, using God to get me where I want to go. God is calling you. He is commanding you in Jesus Christ to be clothed freely in his righteousness, to be saved by his grace, to be rescued and restored by Jesus Christ, to, to, to simply believe and set and act on the belief that in it is his delight. He loves you and heals you and will never leave you by Christ Jesus to take clear and unashamed advantage of his love, and grace for you. And like the older son, we struggle in rebellion against what we know to be true, motivated by fear of not being loved, of not being good enough, of not being valuable, to seeking love, worth, and security on our own in the light of God's extended care for us and assured by the sacrifice of Jesus. We seek our own righteousness to be the perfect wife, to be the perfect husband, the, the most socially just person, the righteous ones. We have come to hate people who infringe upon those rights. We hate and despise those who haven't worked as hard 
or, or seen and seem to expect God to bless them when they haven't tried or worked out as well as we have. We even call their desire to be blessed by God's grace bad theology or bad work ethic or needing to get what they deserve or needing to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And yet we perform like those who are fatherless, as those who, who, who won't or haven't been loved by God, like God lied and failed and faltered in sending Jesus. We dance and work like if we don't, we will be forgotten and forsaken. And you know what has happened to many of us? myself included, we have become too busied and too tired by our personal achievements and securing our own lives and family and work to become energized and excited about seeking and loving on those who need us to join in to the party that the Father has called them to. We are grumpy about the gospel and the gospel work. It is burdensome on our lives instead of freeing because these people are frankly tiresome and needy and clutchy and frankly undeserving of our precious time away from the fields. We start using words when it comes to gospel work in the church, like burned out, tired, kind of want these people near me. Too much work. It's too much money. It's too much time. I'm busy in the fields, Lord, for you. No, are you in the fields for you? Here is the message of grace. The Lord puts himself out there for the lost and appreciative. It's expressing the love seen in the obedience and sacrifice of God himself, the Son, Jesus Christ. There will be no gospel freedom if you're not embraced by the Father. You can be sorry. You can have a plan for getting better. You can do 12 steps. You can promise God you'll never do this and never do that again. You can work for Jesus overseas, under the sea. It doesn't matter. It is only upon embrace, it is only upon bestowing of righteous, the righteousness and sacrifice of the Father that he and we see that what and how we have been restored, that we've been restored to, to repentance and truly restored to the Lord. Repentance does not lead to being a good slave. Godly sorrow and self-righteous ambition make you feel like a slave. You know, we say, God, God, please let me out of this. Let me out of this. So what do we do? Closing here. So what do we do? Unless we hear and embrace by this message of grace over and over we will forever live as, sl of, live as slaves of self-righteousness and not know the freedom of Jesus. What are we doing? What do we do at Christ Central? We let the Father through Jesus Christ, by the word of God and the sacraments we receive every Sunday, embarrass himself. We let God assert himself like a foolish father 
through the preaching and reading and hearing of the Bible and the words in our songs, we let God and Christ look crazy in love for people like you and me. We come into the party in our disconnect and weariness and we let God embrace us again. Do this message of grace over and over in your personal prayers and Bible study. We ask and call God in Christ who's left his heavenly party to come out once again to speak to our hardened hearts. It is this clear message of grace that we seek to give and live by and embrace by here at Christ Central Church. Your condition, my condition, our condition is impossible. Frankly, it's ridiculous. We need an impossible grace. A ridiculous father of grace. To embrace us out of it. You weary? You tired? You're lost. There's no more to do. But let God embrace you with the gospel. Let's pray.